It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, good day, listeners, and welcome once again to Hard Hats and High Viz. We are now in week 12. Uh, we've covered the election and we're moving beyond into that post space. And I just want to remind listeners who are listening to the show, drop us a line, give us some feedback, uh, and uh, we'd be more than happy to uh, to raise these sorts of things in the show. I do have a couple up my sleeve at the moment uh, for our uh, Around the World show, um, and particularly in energy policy. Um, but uh, we'll deal with those in our next week's show. Um, but yeah, I do remind people if you do enjoy what you're listening, give us a give us a good review on your podcast app, and uh, drop me a line on Jack the Insider uh, on at Jack the Insider on, on Twitter, or you can drop me a line on the Conditional Release Program at gmail.com. G'day, Jack. How are things in Hong Kong today, mate? Nice yeah, good, and sunny. Good, good, yeah. Well, it's warm, but sticky, yeah. bit sticky, and, yeah. And, and listeners, don't worry, we won't be triggered if you're saying anything critical of us. <laughs> no, well, we actually got some good stuff, but it relates more to the ATW uh, show, the Around the World show. So we will be covering those on Friday, Jack. For now, we are looking at uh, the domestic politics and uh, social and cultural matters arising. Uh, and uh, the... The PM, Anthony Albanese, has started off by picking a fight with the crossbenchers. And uh, uh, their staff have been uh, instructed to reduce the number of staff that they will have with a number of advisors down from four uh, to one. Uh, so staff uh, of five uh, for, for the crossbenchers. Um Four of those are administrative staff and one will be a policy advisor who can fly around with, uh, with the crossbenchers, fly around the country and add his or her two bobs worth. Um, and this uh, is a reduction of three advisors um, uh, that was set, uh, was laid down for the crossbenchers by Scott Morrison. Is it a good time for, uh, for Albo to be picking or good good fight for Albo to be having? I'm not sure he's picking a fight. I just think they were looking at the staffing levels in, in, in Parliament House and said, that's enough for you. You're getting twice what an ordinary backbencher gets. Twice. Um, uh, yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Um, uh, and, and basically, these arrangements that were made in the Morrison government were very we're much... A bit of a, we're, we're a bit of a bribe, if you don't mind. <laughs> it was indeed a bribe. A political so, bribe, but, you know, a bribe nevertheless. <laughs> But indeed it was. That that was it. So have the recently elected uh, independents, including the nine Teals, uh, well, I think there are three existing Teals who have been re-elected, the six new Teals, have they gone around and said to their mates, I've got a job for you? Do do you mean have they... Have Have they they overcommitted... Have they allocated these jobs before they were told they, how many they were going to get? Oh, I'm just I, suspect, I suspect they have. Yeah. Um, I, they certainly seem to have a well-developed sense of entitlement for people who haven't even been sworn in yet. Yeah, Monique Ryan, the uh, 
MP elect for Goldstein said she could not believe this was the, the, the first fight the Prime Minister wanted to pick. She thinks he wants a brawl. Um, Elbow they, dips. They, Elbow they, dips. Think they think they're koalas, mate. They reckon they're a protected species. <laughs> That's what Chris Flannery used to say, mate. Um, uh, Alba, Albanese uh, said today that uh, he was... Uh, uh, Receiving more conciliatory uh, messages uh, behind closed doors than uh, that are currently the uh, that are currently being expressed in the media. Jackie Lambie Network, I think one or two now. I think Jackie's got a plus one now. Uh, yes, most yes. upset, uh, and uh, and the UAP, the UAP Kitty, who uh, we talked about on the conditional release program yesterday. Uh, um, Babbitt, uh, he's jumping up and down too. I just get the feeling they've actually employed, they've actually sent out the sent out the uh, the job forms. Come yeah, and join yeah, me, yeah, Canberra. They have they have promised a job. Just for a bit of historical perspective, uh, a very good uh, dear friend of ours who sadly sadly died earlier this year, Russ Butter. Um, yes. he was the first person I knew well who was a um, uh, uh, an advisor to an MP. Horry Garrick. Um, the, the late Horry Garrick, who mm. was the member for, for Northcote. Um, uh, and, uh, well, it wasn't called Batman. Northcote. Yeah, it would have been It was called yeah, Batman, yeah. Um, uh, and at that stage, Horry had a staff of two. There was a secretary who yeah. used, to ma- used to man the phones and do the typing in the office in High Street in Northcote. Yeah. Um, and there was Batman. Um, yeah. and, and, and when Parliament was sitting... Generally, but not always, Batten would hop on the burner with Hurry, and they'd go up to Canberra together, and that was it. And they and they did quite a good job, and that's pretty much all you need. And they work in an office the size of a phone booth too, in the old Parliament Absolutely. House. I remember being in the office; it was tiny, you know. If you yeah, move, yeah. If you move and, around, and you knock something over. And in fact, listeners, if you get a chance, go to the old Parliament House in Canberra and look how compact um, the whole setup was. The Prime Minister's office is tiny. Yes, currently. And, and, and have, a, have a look in what was the press uh, the press rooms, you know. Uh, they were all jammed in there. Oh, there was well, no they're, space. They're still pretty bad. I mean, yeah. the, 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 uh, if you've got, you know, 10, 12 staff there, it's, it's, it's a room for three or four. So, yeah. so there's a lot of. Uh, I've seen the Guardians, you know, the Australians, of course, and um, yeah, uh, all the. They're all they're all cramped in there. There's 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 not a lot of privacy to be had uh, for the media with their colleagues. Anyway, they're all sort of cramped in there in their little in their little. Yeah, uh, areas. Anyway, anyway, my take on this politically is that this is a losing play for the Teals. Um, they just look entitled. David Pocock looks terrible. He looks like God. You haven't even got there yet, son. And well, you, you're always demanding, threatening a strike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> threatening a strike. Can you imagine how, how that would look? A strike yeah. in the Senate from the crossbenchers. Yeah, how would yeah. that look? So yeah. uh, he, he did make uh, somewhat more conciliatory remarks. He said it would probably not be a strike. It would be a go slow. Okay. Well, seriously, in the Senate, how would you know? How would you know the difference? Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be after lunch, that means, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, look, it's it's not a political move. It's just, it, it, it's not designed necessarily to cause eruption. It's just them saying, well, you get, you're still getting more than the backbenchers. We twice understand you back, might have. Twice what a back, 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 back benchers well, get. Well, it would have been on the four and four, yeah. yeah. Um, but but uh, I suspect what will happen is they'll go to four and two. 
and, and negotiate and everyone will come away a winner. I think that's what will happen. But the four and four was a was a was a Morrison edifice and 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 they've all got used to it. But really, yeah. if you're a crossbencher, how many how many advisors do you need? Really? I mean, you know, sooner or later you're gonna have to make your own mind up. Yeah. And they've got access to the parliamentary library, Jack. Which uh, yeah. Labor are going to boost some funding to, so they could spend some time in that, particularly if they're on a go slow. So Teals, have a good look in the mirror and yeah. say, "Is this a win- yeah. this a winning move or not?" And House it's not. of Mirrors, House yeah. of Mirrors, stand up and have a good look at yourself. Uh, pay parental leave, Jack, is one of the uh, Labor government's policies, and we're talking really uh, with the introduction of. Um, uh, up to 20 weeks of Commonwealth-funded paid paternity leave for men uh, to assist in the uh, first two years of a child's life. Uh, and Labor are, are, are commencing discussions with business on how to encourage more fathers to stay at home and look after young children. Good move or bad, Jack? I don't really care whether it's the father <laughs> or the mother who stays at home. I Personally, yeah. the, I personally think that's a matter for families to work out amongst themselves. There are uh, some, there's some interesting data on this that when that is shared, uh, when those uh, you know uh, early childhood um, uh, parenting roles are shared, particularly in the first few weeks, that you actually let, that you have a more sort of equal arrangement on uh, on on who does what. Uh, rather than, let's say, the mother staying at home for a period of three, six months uh, and, uh, and, and dad going off to work. So there are some sensible things here. Many countries have well, it, except, of course. Well, well, except that how families and couples split the housework isn't really a government responsibility. The government shouldn't be getting involved in that. My view... You take away the distinction between primary and secondary caregivers, have however much family leave that you're going to allow, 20 weeks or whatever it is, and allow the family to split it up however they want and go on and, and get on and, and organise their own um, uh, uh, dishwashing rotor and their laundry rotor amongst themselves. That's not a matter for government. Yeah, look, I understand. I understand that. But if you create the preconditions, that is to give men up to 20 weeks of paid parental leave in the first two years of a child's life, so it's not taken as a slab uh, in immediate postnatal sense, um, then you probably do have better households, Jack, with uh, with a better better split on uh, on who does what. Well, people make those people within families make those choices for all sorts of reasons. You know, some of them are economic. Um, you know, one or the other might be the, the big money earner and they need to have that person uh, keeping that full-time job. And it could be a man or it could be a woman. Uh, could well, it be could either. Be both. I think could that's be both. what, what yeah. they're saying is it could be both. And what, you, what you're doing with the, with the but 20 you, weeks... But, but, the, but the, what the government should do is, is take away the primary and secondary distinction and then leave the rest of it to the family to work out for themselves. Well, what about single mothers? So I, I didn't want to get into that, but but basically you know, what, what I'm saying is the government is trying to do this so they will take the economics out of it, uh, that that that, uh, that there will be paid parental leave at a, at a reasonable rate. We haven't discussed the rate yet and the government hasn't announced what that rate will be, um, but uh, take the economics out of it so households can make their decisions um, and also get... Get men a little bit more involved in that 
early um, uh, postnatal um, uh, family um, arrangements, you know. Yeah, well, I know some excellent fathers who were not much good in the first <laughs> the first couple of years, but turned into excellent fathers. So, look, and, and look, that's that's something families work out for themselves. Yeah, look, when my first was my first was born, I uh, I did the sort of parenting duties from about the third month onwards for a period of about the next six months because Jenny was uh, flat out at work, um, and it kind of worked out, um, but. Um, I, you know, and it was great. I mean, I formed a, you know, a bond with my daughter that'll never be broken. But in the end, I think when I look back at it now, I said probably the mother, you know, would have been better off at that particular period in in a, in a child's development. Might have been better off with her mother, but it just wasn't the way we could do it economically. And now, I guess what the government is trying to do is take economics out of it, so you can get you know more support behind uh, behind young parents. Yeah, well, it sort of varies a bit. Um, I've got a relative of mine who's, you know, something she's not quite for, but you can already read the form guide because uh, uh, her dad was um, um, looking after in her formative years. <laughs> Very good, can quote the odds. Um, yeah, no, look, you know, those are important skills to learn, Jack. Yeah, yeah they are indeed. Uh, Albo uh, is travelling again. He's in Madrid at the moment with a NATO meeting. He's uh, made some made some statements there about uh, a unified NATO, unified Europe, uh, maintaining the pressure on Russia is the only way to go, which is kind of a fairly obvious remark. Um, uh, why is it NATO, Jack? I think we touched on this last week, but he, he was invited, of course, and it would have been churlish to, to, ref, to decline. Well, um, why is it NATO and not Chogham? Yeah, that's what we did talk about last week. And, and as you said, Richard Miles, the Deputy PM, is in Kigali uh, with uh, with uh, the Chogham meeting. Or, or um, was in Kigali. I think I think the Chogham's over. But, yeah. Um, well, look, look, we've tipped in a fair bit of dough into the NATO current exercise with Ukraine. So I suppose we're that's why we're invited and we're entitled to be there. And it's probably a good thing that he is. It's an important decisions to – there are important decisions to be made around – what NATO does over the next few months. Um, I, I saw that there is at least an illusion of unity amongst them, but I don't know that how strong that unity really is, but um, that's not a bad thing uh, that we're there. Is it, we talked about this too. Is it a bad idea that PMs travel a lot? I, I, I don't think that it is. Um, particularly a new PM, I think, has got to get around and be known face-to-face with uh, the world's leaders. So it depends what they do. Um, I think it was a particularly bad look to have um, uh, Gough Whitlam um, more or less leading a cultural tour to Greece um, uh, at the time, having people walking up and down the Acropolis with him um, while uh, Darwin was being flattened by a cyclone. I remember that quite clearly. Yeah, not a lot you can do about that. that. He did hurry back. It wasn't, Mm. you know, it wasn't Scott Morrison sitting on the beach of Waikiki. But, no, I mean, although those, those illusions were made. Goff uh, didn't come back very quickly and it was very unpopular. So there you go. It depends what they're doing when they're over there. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, and, uh, these sorts of trips so far that Albanese's made are really just meet and greet. I am mm. the new Prime Minister of Australia. They're quite important. Mm. One one thing uh, Albo will be going to is uh, he'll be going to Fiji next week for the Pacific Island Forum. 
Uh, and there he will meet uh, the Prime Minister of the Solomons, uh, Sogavare, for um, uh, Prime Minister Sogavare for further meetings on the yet uh, yet to be made public uh, uh, secret arrangements with China that he's made. Um, he did. I think these the, the Pacific Islands Forum they go back to about 1970-71, I think. Um, and my recollection is. Yeah, my record. What used to happen was that the prime ministers of everywhere else, New Zealand and and all of the Pacific states, would turn up, and Australia would send the chap who was then known as the minister for external affair, external territories, uh, along. Who I I think in seventy one probably would have still been Paul Hasluck. Um, uh, would go along there. So um, they've been going a long time. I think they're worthwhile. And oh, they are good. worthwhile, and 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 look, I'm not so much referring to these those very early days of those arrangements, but uh, I remember John. It was John Howard's first overseas trip uh, was to the Pacific. May not have been the first, but it was very early days in John Howard's prime ministership, where and he declined the carver, had a cup of tea instead. And we thought it was an outrageous oh, drug. I'm, I'm I'm with him on that. Um, uh, it's it's not much of a drink, the carver. It's not much of a drink. I, I, I remember having some in Fiji, and uh, it's like drinking it's like drinking very muddy water, Jack. It's not yeah, all that pleasant, and it doesn't uh, have any sort of psychoactive effect. It was very disappointing no, on that no, level. Very too. disappointing. <laughs> I'm I'm with John Howard. A cup of tea's a better choice than a carver. Have I mean, look, I, what there was some really serious body language issues that, that that arose from that particular meeting, and and it's gone on. Since uh, you know that, that Australia has, you know, just perhaps this is one of the reasons for Sogavari turning to the Chinese that the Australians uh, have treated the Pacific Islands uh, like um, uh, like a little bit beneath them over the years. Probably that's right. I mean, that's probably a fair criticism. Um, uh, we've always sent. Uh, I know of some good people who are sent up there as diplomats, etc. Um, but uh, there have been some incidents where you know people have been caught on camera saying things that they probably shouldn't. Have. Yeah, indeed. They, well, they said one of the best ways to approach the Pacific, and this is probably a little bit paternalistic as well, was to have Big Kim Beasley and uh, the Minister for Defence Robert Ray, two large human beings, pop over to. Uh, Fiji and elsewhere, and uh, and they were celebrated. Um, where you know, being a being a large human is a sort of is, is a sort of point of celebration. Uh, large male, that is, is a point of uh, celebration in the Pacific. Yeah, well, I'm afraid Elbow is going to let the going to let the team down there in that regard these yes. days. The new Elbow, yeah, he um, slimmed uh, down. Yeah. He slimmed down. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed he was hopping on the plane with the skinny pants on, and the, you know, yeah. uh, all that sort of stuff. So. Um, yes, uh, look, uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on to see if he has a has a scoff he's, of the car. He's he's, he's going to look a little bit. He's going to look a little bit underdone when they put the silly shirt on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they will have the Hawaiian on at some point. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he if he drinks the carver. I mean, in all seriousness, the South Pacific is, is is basically Australia's sphere of influence. It's about as far as we can go as an as an as an individual nation. I'm not talking about our relationship with the United States or perhaps even New Zealand. 
Um, um, but in terms of a sphere of influence, that's, you know, all the way almost to Hawaii is where we can go. Uh, well, and- well, personally, I think we have much more influence than that, uh, much more influence uh, than what you're suggesting. I think we have a fair bit of influence um, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia and South Asia, but in the Pacific, we're the biggest, um, uh, we're the biggest um, security uh, force in that area. So we do have a bit more influence up there. Mm. To be taken seriously, and mm. um, uh, and and it's and it's just been a sort of a, a friendship or a, a series of sort of alliances with South Pacific nations that have only just been tested when the the, the South Pacific's gone through difficult times with. Uh, with uh, weather events and those sorts of things, and uh, and that's when Australia's come to the fore. We always do, um, but it might be better to. Uh, um, because a lot of the things that Fiji, in particular, I want to talk about, Jack, is climate change and responses to it. Um, because a lot of these countries, as you know, are disappearing. Well, that's not true. Well, it certainly is when you get when you get to. Um, uh, the Micronesian uh, Federation. Yeah, no, it's not. Even, it's not. It's not even true there. Nothing is disappearing. None of them. Are, none of them are disappearing because of climate change. That's all bollocks. If you don't mind me saying so. What, what, what do you mean? I mean, you're, you're actually looking at reduced land mass. I mean, that, that's that's basically no, what, what you're what looking what at. What what we're we're looking not talking at about storm looking. events. We are talking about water lapping in and actually affecting groundwater on these island nations. So they will not have free. We are talking about a, a the prospect of refugees having to come to this country because they I can, I can see why way. I can see why the island states are saying that because they've got their hand out looking for a handout. Yeah, um, well, that's but, that's but, the but, sort of. But but there just isn't the isn't, there isn't the science to back this up. But you can produce it, and I'll have a look at it. Well, but, we'll, we'll, we'll 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 introduce some geography to you from um, <laughs> from the South Pacific, and we'll we'll show and I'll show you how their land mass has reduced. Their land masses in the South Pacific are always going up and down because of the nature it's of the up, islands. It's, They're it's, coral it, keys it's, by it's, and large. It's, 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 it's all down and no up. Mate, so we'll deal with that <laughs> well, next week. I, right. I, I didn't realise. I can't believe you'd want to contest it, but we'll we'll look at this next week and we'll show you in particular some islands yeah, that are really desperate at the moment. Pod- podcast on a terribly visual medium, but still, you can tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's not what I think. We'll show you some data. We'll show you some hard data. And you can walk it through. Well, mm-hmm. here we go. Next thing, Jack: climate protests. Will didn't this, see will you chain yourself will, will, to the. Will, will, uh, will this be like the? Um, uh, the um, uh, the ice in the uh, ice in the Arctic that you were wrong about a couple of weeks ago. Ice in the Arctic. You, yeah. you, you, you do realise the reduction that's gone on there too, don't no, you? You're, you're, you're actually looking I'll, at Bering I'll, I'll, I'll Sea to being uncluttered for long periods of time. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, just flying over it, mate, and looking down at it and seeing it as white no, no, is no, not, no, no, is no, not no, data. Not even NASA thinks it's disappearing. So there you go. Um, well, climate protests. Meanwhile, Jack, you haven't changed yourself to your car uh, in Hong Kong, but it did happen in Sydney. Someone actually locked themselves to their steering wheel outside the entrance to the uh, harbour tunnel, closing that for a while. She actually streamed the protest and it featured a very angry motorist uh, confronting her. And she's sitting there rather calmly dealing with it. She was ultimately arrested. 
and it's part of what's called Blockade Australia Group, and, and they are protesting throughout the streets of Sydney this week. Kicked off again. This what a morning. derivative! What a derivative bunch they are. They're just pinching ideas from the television from what's happening in the UK. They can't even think of something original for themselves. I know it is a bit of a thing with all protesters. The last uh, group, the uh, the anti lockdown people, they just kept appealing to and were making chants, you know, that that have been chanted uh, from other protesters. Yeah, this one. I guess the insinuation is that uh, that this is a global group and this is just the Australian representation of it. Uh, we did have some uns- unseemly business uh, occurring around uh, the Colo River, uh, not far out of Sydney, where the, I think the Blockade Australia group had gathered and training and uh, the Wallopers uh, made a very poor effort of trying to disguise themselves and... Uh, uh, ended up having a confrontation with them. Um, uh, everyone has a right to protest, Jack. They do. They what do. they don't have the right to do is stop everybody else going about their business. Yeah, uh, the problem I've got with that, Jack, is that if you're going to just have a wander through the streets in a way that's not going to affect traffic, it's not really a protest, is it? Of course um, it is. Uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And if I was stuck in traffic, I'd be filthy, right? Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is there is this conflict, and this is the Environment Minister, I should just go on to quote her, the, the Environment Minister, uh, Tanya Plibersek, uh, perhaps uh, given the uh, card from under the under the deck there, uh, at the bottom of the deck, uh, is now the Environment Minister. Uh, she said that... Uh, she was pleased to get the job. She said so. Yeah, she did say that, yeah. So she, yeah. Yeah, she's pleased to get it. Uh, it, it and, she, and she looked very nearly sincere when she said it. People have the right to protest, as we've agreed, uh, but asserted anyone participating in rallies needed to do so within the law. I don't think it's unreasonable to make sure that people are safe and protesting within the law. I understand people feel strongly but you've also got a right to make your views publicly known. You don't have a right to break the law while you're doing it. Uh, there have been a number of arrests, these, I think, these, uh, these 11 groups arrests. Are, these groups are the same all around the world where they do this, this blockade stuff. They are overwhelmingly white and they are overwhelmingly well off. Well, that's not a crime, is it, Jack? No, it's not. No, it's not. But let's, let's, let's just bear this in mind. These are the people who can afford to worry about these things, the people who are struggling to get to work and make ends meet. This, this is a luxury. It's a luxury protest. I understand that. Uh, but what I'm talking about is the conflict between the right to protest and, uh, and, 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 the, and, the, and what the governments insist is the right to do so lawfully. And really there is no – that is, those things are doing direct conflict. You know whether it was uh, whether it was uh, anti-lockdown protesters. They were in, in, you know engaging in what was illegal activity, and most of them were never arrested, and a few of them were issued infringement notices and all this sort of stuff. Here we've this got is, this has been happening. Stopping traffic, been, blocking this roads. This has been happening since the G20 in Melbourne. That was twenty like fifteen years ago, um, when all these people decided to try and stop the various leaders of foreign governments from getting in and out of buildings and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, uh, a lot of them got arrested. Um, almost none of them suffered any consequences. In the end, they sued the police because the police arrested them. Yeah, and, the court, and the courts gave them the verdict. This is just wrong. 
You're allowed to protest. What you're not allowed to do is to break the law and prevent everybody else going about their business. I don't well, care what I, I, your understand co- I don't care what your cause is. You, that that shouldn't be allowed. I, I, I understand perfectly, but what I'm saying is if, you, if, if you're going to run a protest and not break the law, then that's not really a protest at all. I mean, no, that's, I, no, that's I, just I, a I, march I, where, where the police have been obliged to to, uh, uh, to close the streets, to close a particular street or streets and, uh, and guide protesters through. Um, and that, those are fairly common. Sort of to me, that's a protest. To, to me, that's absolutely okay. But isn't that causing disruption, traffic uh, snarls and so forth? Well, generally speaking, you've got to arrange, make the arrangement with the police beforehand, and that's doable. What I'm talking about is this sort of stuff. I don't care what your cause is. Blocking, blockading the, like the harbour tunnel, blockading streets, all that, sticking yourself to, to pavements, all of that's wrong. Should be punished heavily. Heavily? What are we talking? Yep. Jail terms? Oh, well, certainly, yes. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I, I simply can't agree with that. that uh, I, I just don't know. Certainly, certainly you, you jail are term, always going to have this in, jail, implicit jail, conflict. Jail terms for repeat offenders between 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 what a pro, what a protest group wants to do and what is considered lawful. There's always going to be that conflict, and that's the same with the anti-lockdown guys. And, and what I'm saying is, we've gone too far to give the protesters too much space, too much freedom to to, to disrupt other people. So the bloke had walloped a horse. He got he got a jail term, and that was yeah. from the yeah. And that, I don't think there's too much argument about that. But then we do get these sort of issues where, uh, and I know that one fellow, and this is not uh, part of uh, the uh, uh, Lockout Australia group, but this was part of a um, uh, an anti-lockdown protest where uh, a police officer reached for his phone uh, while he was filming, uh, and he pushed the police officer's hand back and he's now been charged with assault police. Well, I think that's, that's messy, a bit weak. That's, it's that's, so that's, messy. That's, that's a bit weak. What about the people in the UK who were um, uh, uh, clambering on top of um, the tube trains to prevent people from going to work? That's, that should be a hefty fine, that. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, my point is that, that protests are about disruption. Otherwise, there's not much point having them. And that's why you've got this innate conflict this, all the time. This is something new. It didn't used to happen. Protests used to be about just making a point. Yeah, now now it's now. Basically and that, they, to me, that's wrong. And they come and they stay. Well, at Blockade Australia, I'm not, you know, they're, they're, they're here all week, let's say, you know, try the veal. Um, but um, uh, we've seen this with... Uh, with uh, protests from uh, anti-lockdown protests, for example, when they they go out go out for a march and then they stay outside the parliament for the next three months. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, John Barrels Barillaro, Jack, you must have read this. This is fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> this sort of stuff that brings governments down, isn't it? Uh, well, it certainly embarrasses governments. Yeah. I wouldn't mind being trade commissioner of New South Wales and New York City. I rather, I, I rather, I rather like living in New York City. Well, yeah, I, I think that's the point. I mean, basically, everyone wants this job. It's it's one of the biggest drinks trolleys you've ever seen in your life. You know, mm. basically five hundred k a year plus everything. You know, you, he will not put his hand in his pocket uh, if he went out to buy himself a coffee and a and a, and a packet of chewing gum. He'd expect to get money back from it. Um, uh, 
the point around this, we'll talk about whether New South Wales actually needs a trade commissioner in New York City, and I think we'll find that it really doesn't. Um, but also that this was this 500k a year job that you and I would both love and put our hands up, and we we didn't get a tap on the shoulder uh, on the I, global I would, search. I would prefer to say I would reluctantly accept it just to be a service to New South Wales. Well, it can't be given to us, Jack, because Barrels has got it. And this was after a global search was conducted that found two very, very good candidates. They're both by name. Uh, two very, very good candidates. I don't really want to name them because, uh, you know, I think their privacy's been interrupted a bit here. But uh, then uh, the New South Wales bureaucracy turned around and said, Barrels, you're our man. You know, we didn't, we've, we've scanned the globe uh, looking for an appropriate person uh, to be the New South Wales Trade Commissioner in New York City. And look, here you are, here you've been just under, <laughs> just, just, just ne- right next door. We scanned the globe and then we came across you. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm always a bit dubious about these global search um, uh, thing as, you know, uh, like the AFL are doing one uh, um, uh, for yeah. the next, and next they, CEO, and, and, they, and it'll be someone. And it, it's a global search, and it'll be someone from, in the, from within the AFL. So um, yeah, well, that's a corporation, cares. and yeah, yeah, and corporations yeah. can do these sorts of things. Um, my, uh, my my view of um, who should get the job for the New South Wales Trade Commission in, in in New York City, it's entirely a matter for the government, and they should appoint the cabinet should appoint it. Yeah, well, there are difficulties, though, because Barrels has <laughs> just retired, of course. And so um, uh, Bob Carr was on Twitter saying that this was worse than Terry Metherill, uh, where Terry Metherill was given a uh, government position uh, by the Griner government uh, that was ultimately determined to be technically corrupt and ultimately cost uh, Nick Griner his job. As only, only because we had the foolish ICAC system in place, but there well, you go. He, he created it, you know. You yes, can, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one who brought it in. Well, he, 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 he no one Gar- else to blame but himself. He and Gary Sturgis put it together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, they came, yeah. They came up to Hong Kong oh, and modelled it, it on our ICAC oh, system, which is I, not I, very good either. If you ever want a, a working definition of irony, that's it, you mm. know. Um, and so, anyway, Carr mentioned uh, Terry and, and Metherill. The, and the appointment of Terry Metherill was political, um, but governments make political choices. And and if the government wants to give John Barillo uh, the job in, in, in New York City, to my, in my Barrels, view, they're, yeah, uh, they're perfectly entitled to do so. There may be a political cost for that. Um, and indeed, I think there probably would be. Well, there is. But they're still, but they're still entitled to do it. Yeah, look... Bob Carr made a very, uh, very thing. He did he reference the Terry Metherill brouhaha that ultimately cost Griner his job. But he advised further the New South Wales Labor look at look in their tactics, and they can actually request um, uh, the opposition can actually request data on how much business is going through the Trade Commissioner's office in New York City, which should be hilarious, and report to the Parliament on a monthly basis. Because right now, this is a new position, by the way. This is this didn't exist a year ago, so it's going to be like, okay, well, um, what what business have you got coming through, coming into New South Wales from New York City, um, uh, while John John Barrels has been there? 
And I think yeah, that, well, that's well, that's that's a political cost. But governments or governments got to be allowed to make political choices, and then have to bear the political cost. But it should they shouldn't need a global search. It shouldn't have to be some special committee of people who choose who gets this job. It's a matter for the government. But they might bear a political cost for it. Yeah. Oh well, they're going to bear a considerable cost. I think that there yeah. is an inquiry now. Perrottet's uh, announced an inquiry, uh, and that inquiry will involve senior bureaucrats, including uh, Michael uh, Coots Trotter. Michael uh, Coots Trotter has appointed a former um, uh, public service commissioner to do the job. A guy called Graham Head. I've never heard of, but um, so Coots Trotter's um, pushed it pushed it down the line. Yeah, and and that report is probably not likely to surface in a hurry, and and probably won't contain too many uh, gremlins. But um, I I, I, under, I understand Sir Humphrey Appleby was approached to the inquiry. That's good. Well, it seems to be a very courageous decision, Jack, to give it to barrels. I just wonder. I mean, uh, you know, it, it does leave uh, Labor. Uh, open to using these sorts of tactics by uh, reporting to the parliament and to the media on just exactly what Barillaro is up to on any given day. Well, that's that's just a political cost you pay if you if you make a political choice. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. A I mean, this 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 is not the worst political um, uh, uh, appointment I've ever seen. I think Vince the Vince Gare to Ireland and the Holy See. Oh, still yeah, takes, that's still, still that's still the yardstick. Yeah, that's truly really hard stick for this, isn't it? You know, <laughs> no, it's not, a beauty. Not, it is a beauty though, because we all know <laughs> Barrels. Barrels was an unashamed uh, pork barreler. That's where he, that's, that's where his nickname comes from, and it's just amusing to most of us uh, to see that you know he walked away from politics, and everyone said lovely words about him, and then within days. Uh, he was appointed to the New South Wales Trade Commissioner in New York City. Will it bring the Perrottet government down? Probably not. What it will do is create a sort of if Labor any good uh, at, at bringing these matters to the attention, keeping this matter rolling. Uh, what, what, what might bring the Perrottet government down is that they've got, um, uh, at long last, for the first time for quite a while, they've got a Labor leader in New South Wales who looks convincing. Yeah, no, he, he's very good. Um, and, uh, and 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 look, this will be you know a, a first priority item just to keep this rolling and creating that perception around uh, the Perrottet government that you know it's all about jobs for boys and entitlement. Everyone else got to uh, got to uh, tighten their belts. You know, public service increases, increases for pol- increases for wages for police and ambos and fireys. Oh no, we can't go anywhere near the inflation rate. But barrels can pick up half a mil a year, hmm. and that's what that's what they've got to do. So yeah, Chris has Chris has got some Chris has got the job ahead of him there. Um, he's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a, doing a, Chris Mintz is doing an actually fantastic job, and it is game on next year uh, when uh, when the New South Wales the people in New South Wales go go to the polling booth um, in Victoria. Jack Dan Andrews has banned the swastika. And uh, that, well, it just went straight through the parliament with bipartisan support, only one person not voting for it, and that was the uh, Liberal Democrats' kitty in the upper house. Um, It seems to have involved a great deal of community consultation, particularly with the Jewish community in in Victoria. Uh, And... um, 
and uh, it, it basically uh, criminalises the display of the swastika uh, in public um, with, I think, a $22,000 fine and a year in prison or both. What does it achieve? Not much. Yeah, but why do other countries? Why have other countries in Europe banned the swastika, Jack? Well, I can see why the Germans have. The French, the Austrians. Uh, well, it varies a bit. The Spanish, Spanish having a Spanish don't, and I don't think um, the UK uh, don't. The Dutch don't. No, the UK doesn't. I'm not much of a one for banning stuff. That's is, is my view. I think it's all a bit subjective. Look, we did talk uh, on the conditional release program yesterday about... A- does, Pri- does, does Prince Harry get a year in jail for wearing a, um, a, a Nazi no, um, a uniform to, to a, um, uh, a dress-up party? Not in England, um, uh, but in a, but would he, in would, Victoria, he, he would. Melbourne. The, yeah. the Liberals have got... Uh, sorry, the Perrottet uh, 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 government has got uh, uh, legislation... Uh, that has been through a, a parliamentary committee, uh, which were, which is designed to ban Nazi symbols for stop, which is a difficult one because a lot of the symbols are heavily coded and, and sort of secretive, um, and it would require do a fair we, bit of training. Do we do we do we ban symbols from the former Soviet Union or from uh, Maoist China? We don't, do we? No, but I don't think we want to get into the comparative stuff, and 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 that would be um, the, the particularly uh, unpleasant element of Nazism is that it identified one racial group and sought to persecute them and kill them in the millions, and that's why we don't have it. It's the rise of anti-Semitism that's the problem, and uh, and and. Well, I don't think I, I don't think ben, that there is a problem with the rise of anti-Semitism, um, but I don't think that that's got anything to do with displaying swastikas. To be well, correct. I think so it, the, the it, rise it, it of the rise does. of anti-Semitism is 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 uh, much broader than that, um, uh, and it's not. The anti-Semitic attacks that are happening in, say, in the United States now are not being done by white supremacist or far-right people. You sure about done that? By, they, they are being done almost in, almost entirely in New York by the black community. All right, let's go through some stats. Um, and this was compiled by Tel Aviv University Stats. This is the Anti-Semitism Worldwide Report of 2021. The US, this is for 2021 alone, the US, which has the largest Jewish population outside of Israel, the number of anti-Jewish hate crimes recorded in both New York and Los Angeles were almost twice that of the previous year. In France, the number of recorded anti-Semitic incidents increased by almost 75% compared with 2020. In Canada, a leading Jewish group reported a 40-year record in anti-Semitic physical violence in one month. That was August of last year. In the UK, the number of recorded physical assaults against Jews increased by 78% compared to 2020. In Germany... Yeah, the numbers, and, the numbers are going on. up. But in who's Germany, doing? anti-Semitic incidents recorded by police were up 29% compared to 2020 and 49% compared to 2019. In Australia, we've also experienced a sharp rise in recorded anti-Semitic incidents with 88 in May alone. The report goes on to explain that some of this, particularly the, the Australian reference there, was related to uh, Israel and Palestinian, uh, Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip 
kicking off uh, there with 261 people killed in Gaza and 14 people killed in Israel. They acknowledge that, but they also acknowledge that there's a great deal of proliferation. Left and right, Jack, I'm not arguing with you about that at all, but there is a great deal of proliferation on the dark web in some uh, hidden parts of or, or more clandestine it's actually, parts it's actually, of social it's actually, media. W- glad to stop you. It's, it's actually worse than you describe it. Jews are fleeing um, parts of Europe, right? Yeah. Jews are fleeing Sweden mm. and they're fleeing Paris. One of the reasons we've got so many new French people in, uh, in Hong Kong is quite a lot of them are Jewish yeah. because they don't want to live in Paris. They don't want to live in Melma. Um, uh, and, and, and they're fleeing for a particular reason. They've got a demographic problem, mm. as they put it politely. Now, so I fully accept that banning a swastika is, is, is symbolism, and you might even argue that it's empty. But what it does do is, is basically bury that, bury that bloody horrible, that bloody horrible symbol. Um, <clears throat> and also, because it criminalises it, and allows us to keep a little bit better uh, eye on uh, on uh, uh, on emerging extreme right wing groups. Uh, who've fallen into whilst, of, whilst, whilst doing nothing about the real cause of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe, which is the well, the I don't rise, think Dan the, the rise, the rise of unassimil- unassimilated uh, uh, Islamic people. I in, don't think in, that's in, part of Dan Andrews' brief, mate. No. Um, <clears throat> but but certainly a ban in a ban of the swastika. You, you might, I guess, argue that it hasn't done much uh, for. I mean, it is banned in France. It is banned in Germany. It is banned in Austria. Um, uh, it hasn't done much to reduce anti-Semitism. The report makes really stark reading. Some of it is linked to conflict in the Gaza and perceptions about uh, Israeli uh, overreach in you know in in the Gaza. Uh, um, but a lot of it is driven by um, uh, extremist groups. Nazi, neo-Nazi groups that exist here in Australia and have for a long time in one form or another, and um, and 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 just having that ban on the swastika uh, is well, it certainly gives uh, the Australian Jewish Council a great deal of uh, a, a great deal of comfort. It means at very base level that people who survived the Holocaust and their descendants don't have to don't have to be mocked by by people carrying. Swastikas. It also means that our, our veterans in World War Two fought in North Africa don't have to be mocked by swastikas either. Well, I, I'm not a fan of people carrying swastikas. I don't think banning it does anything. You and I both lived for a long time in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um, you can't drive past a synagogue in the eastern suburbs of Sydney or a, a Jewish school without seeing armed guards out the front. And you haven't been able to do that for 25 years. That's got nothing to do with the wearing of swastikas. Yeah, well, I'd, su- I'd suggest it's got the, the, the rise of extreme left and extreme right groups. And by having a ban on swastikas, it actually at least ad- at least politicises uh, and takes away this uh, nonsense that it is um, uh, free political speech. Uh, and it allows police to engage and remove people uh, for for, uh, for for sort of mocking mocking Jewish people with with swastikas. It's a start. Well, I, I, I would I would be more impressed with Dan Andrews if he addressed the causes of why we've got to have armed guards outside synagogues and Jewish schools. They're the only they're the only religious group 
and the only religious schools that this is required of in Australia, but they need to do it. And I would be much more impressed if he addressed the causes of that. Uh, and I don't think banning swastikas is doing that. Do they have armed guards? Where do they have armed guards in uh, Melbourne Jewish schools? They, they do indeed. Do they? You sure? Yep. Mm. I'll have a look into it and get back to you next week. All right. <coughs> um, and, they, and, and, they, and they have in Sydney since... For, you know, since I moved to Sydney in 1994. I have seen them at uh, some of the Bondi schools that I can't think of the name of right now. I have yeah. seen them. Mariah, Mariah College has um, a group of people at the front every morning, um, you know, a special requirement to get in and out and all that sort of stuff. Right? Mm. Um, every synagogue in Sydney has them. What we see with extremism, be it left or right, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the right, the right-wing extremists are growing here. What we always see, and, we, and that is just a statistical fact that ASIO will be happy to nod along with, um, what we do see is in those groups, extreme left, extreme right, once you dig far enough, you will find, and dig down in those groups far enough, you'll find anti-Semitism just raw and raring to go. You haven't got to dig very far to find it in the left these days, I'm sad to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> mate, um, we do have these ridiculous things um, I, I understand perfectly what you're saying. A lot of it is driven by that. The Labor Party in the UK has got significant problems with anti-Semitism. The Labor Party, the Labor Party in Australia is a little bit better, but not that much better. Driven by Corbyn, driven by Corbyn, uh, no, much, much better, much better. Um, it does have, it does have difficulties in dealing with matters like conflict in Gaza, uh, and and. You know, the, the point is you don't have to be anti-Semitic to be cr critical of Israeli policy in, in Gaza. Um, <clears throat> you know, that doesn't make you an anti-Semite. You're an anti-Semite if you, if, you, if, you if you want to wipe out the Jews, basically. And, and we are seeing groups in this country who are hell-bent on it. There are a number in, number in jail at the moment from the extreme right, Jack. <clears throat> Yeah, and go to a, go to a, um, uh, a left march and listen to them say, from the river to the sea. Yeah. Well, as I say, not, not denying for a moment that it comes from both sides uh, on the extremes, but yep. what we are seeing is a rise in right-wing extremism and tapping the footlock of the, of the, of the neo-Nazis. Um, home ownership in Australia, much gentler topic. The home ownership in Australia, the latest census showed home ownership rates have sunk well below levels seen in the 90s. Mortgage debt has skyrocketed. It's a big topic here now with a, jump, with a big jump from the Australian Reserve Bank and the official cash rate last month. Uh, and already people are talking about mortgage stress um, uh, and more families living in apartments than ever before. So the freestanding Australian home is... A rarity, much more of a rarity than it was 20 years ago, Jack. I'd rather like apartment living. I've lived in apartments yeah, for 15 years and, and, and I suspect I'll never go back to having a, my own home and, and happily not. Depends who's above you, though. Depends who's above you. If, you. if you've got, you know, the latest chapter of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, it's not that much fun. Um, well, it's, it's not much fun having next door to you in a freestanding house either. Yeah, no, well, yeah, that's right. I always did, you know, you'd remember the Hells Angels uh, uh, on, uh, on, 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 on Holloway on, Road. 
on our way to to to, to visit the, um, the the late lamented Russ Batham, as we were just talking about, yeah, um, was, yeah. was around the corner from his place. Yeah, indeed it was. Um, and there were a couple of houses. I mean, you knew that they owned the ones either side. Um, mm. you, you could pretty much tell because the fences were down and all that sort of stuff. But mm. then there were the houses just that little bit further, and you always looked at them and gone. Yeah, there's not much point complaining about the noise, is there? You know, no, no. not a lot of point uh, complaining about the noise. And, yeah, and, and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't knock on the door asking for borrow a cup, borrow a cup of sugar, would you? But at the same time, if you had some motor vehicle issues, maybe uh, you needed some uh, rapid motor vehicle repairs, you could knock on the door, and I'm, and I'm, you, you sort of might have one or two of them obliging. In the old days, in the old grey mm. beers, I don't know that the current crop are all that good on their motorbikes, Jack. Um, <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so look, I mean, there's this, this uh, a report in the Herald Sun today uh, about uh, home ownership rates have sunk. So we're not just talking about apartment living. We're talking about this unreachable uh, unreachable uh, condition now for many Australians just simply not being able to get into the housing market. Maybe they will in the next couple of years when, uh, when conditions, well, the heat will come out of the the market now that interest rates are rising. Um, uh, I have to say, when I hear about people with mortgage stress who've recently purchased properties, I have to say, didn't you think this was a possibility? Because when, you know, when I think about looking at interest rates rising last in the middle of last year, you would have to say that it was on the cards and in a fairly significant way because, you know, we're at, we were at, you know, less than a quarter of a percent official cash, cash rate. Yeah, people have been lulled into thinking this is going to last forever. Um, you know, look, look, we're just going to have to build more homes, and part of that is, um, is, is, is getting rid of some of the restrictions on building. Yep, like local government stuff. Melbourne's probably better at it than Sydney is. If you drive around, you know, in the, out, out to the western suburbs, there's hardly any of the sort of dual occupancy, you know, the mm. sort of townhouses. Uh, uh, mm. Melbourne's been a little bit better at it than Sydney, but they've still got problems. You'll still have heat in the housing market in Melbourne and Sydney and, and, and the other capital cities too, for that matter, but to a lesser extent, because, as you say, of, uh, of the demand exceeding supply. Mm. Now, Jack, um, uh, I saw the best headline in the eyes that I've seen for ages um, uh, today, uh, talking about the Queensland government and the lobbyists, where the, 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 the headline writer suggested that they'd swept this under the carpet, but we can still see where the lumps are. <laughs> That's very good. This is the, uh, this is the lobbying uh, issue uh, with uh, Labor... Party PR and polling company uh, or affiliated with Hawker Britain. They've basically won the lottery in Queensland, haven't they? They, they just licensed to print they, money. They, they are doing very well. I, I must confess that in, a, in my past, I have worked in the lobbying business, but um, uh, yeah, much is made at this. I think some of the rules in Australia certainly need some tidying up. Uh, one of the things they were talking about in that article in the Australian was that um, heads of lobbying companies were working within the minister's offices yeah. during election campaigns. Yeah. Now, what happens in the UK is that 
um, once the election's called, all of those people disappear out of the minister's office and go down to party headquarters and work from there and keep it at arm's length. And I think that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a very good idea. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I saw that and I, you know, mouth did drop a little bit. It's not quite right. Um, they are in... Uh, 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 they're not able to make decisions at that time because an election has been called. Yeah. Um, they're in caretaker. They're in, in caretaker, caretaker mode, mode anyway. Um, so so get, them out of the right. get, get them out of the minister's office, yeah. get them down to party headquarters, you know, hire a couple of floors of an office building somewhere and work from there. And, and Exactly right. And, and, and it leads to not just perceptions but actual problems because you, you'll have people with, uh, shall we say, a, a sense of entitlement. Moving yeah, forward. Yeah. All yeah. right. Anyway, con- con- congrats to the Oz for an excellent headline. Yeah, very nice work from the subs there. Um, You've still got subs there. God, that's good. Oh, yeah, there's still a few there. Yeah, the Oz is the, there's the one newspaper in Australia that continues to employ photographers, Jack. Hmm. Uh, others have them, but they're on contract, but the Australia keeps them on, and we still have a a small army of subs uh, who are very, very good at, about uh, ironing out some of my rougher mistakes. Um, uh, on the weekend, Jack, well, before the weekend started, uh, uh, we had the NRL State of Origin women's uh, games, just a one-off. They're not playing the three. The women played, uh, the, the New South Wales women won 20 to Queensland 14. Uh, 600,000 people watched it. Good. And I've got to tell you, I had, I, had a bit of a, I had a bit of a flip. I was watching AFL, which is my first love, of course, but I did flip around, and the skill level's excellent. And I'd go so far as to say that the skill level in the uh, NRLW, if that's what they call it, is probably a little bit the, – the, the, the difference between the men and the women is less in the NRL than it is in the AFL. Part of that is um, uh, is uh, so much of the AFL is to do with kicking, and the yeah. difficulty is can they kick it far enough? Um, uh, kick and it far enough, and, and also see you've got a lot of women playing the AFLW who have come from other codes, and so yeah. kicking is one of those things that that you sort of if you grow up with, you're going to be okay. Uh, the difficulty is you put them on a well, you put them on a ground like Cadenia Park. It's two hundred meters long, you mm. know, you know, and you can only kick the ball 35, 40 meters. Uh, well, look, look, look how much better women's cricket's gone gotten since the bats improved. Sure, the in all of these, oh, they bring the field in. They bring the field in, and it's good, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it makes it, it. It makes it work. That's a problem for the AFL. Anyway, we had the best round of AFL footy I can remember. Yeah, it was um, good. Ever. Um, I mean, I'm 66, but I can't remember uh, a round where every game seemed to really carry it, some It promised so much. Weight. It promised so much, and it delivered. You had yeah. <coughs> you had sides, uh, well, you had one and two play Thursday night. You had five and three play Saturday afternoon. Uh, uh, Geelong were four and Richmond six uh, play Saturday in the uh, – in the, in the uh, twilight and, game and, at the G, and the and and the winner Geelong looks pretty good to be, be top four, and Richmond are temporarily at least out of the eight. So that's yeah, a, they that's got a bundled big game. out. They went from sixth to ninth uh, yeah. on the basis of a loss by uh, you know less than a goal, um, and uh, and yeah, the cats look the cats look pretty good. I mean, 
Um, I still have concerns about their leg speed and uh, and hand speed uh, in the midfield. We'll see more, a bit more about that. Carlton were my my mob fantastic against Fremantle. Really was a season engaging win, their best win for the season, as declared by me and the coach. Uh, oh, I'm glad he agreed. Yeah, with well, that. he did agree with me. I thought that was terrific. <laughs> good on, good on, Vossi. He's, he's, oh, he's done. He's done. He'll keep his job. job. He'll keep his. He'll keep his job yeah, for a while. Right. But I think he'll be all right. He keeps, provided he's agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. No, look, he's he's uh, he, he's just been terrific, and 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 it is. Um, uh, it was declared by one of the uh, football journalists. Carlton were the best ticket in town, Jack. Just a joyful, ex- joyful uh, exposition of football. Uh, and uh, they are <laughs> good fun to watch. So I'm very pleased with the Blues at the moment. Sydney absolutely spanked St Kilda, who Carlton play this week. I mean, that was a very poor, did-not-turn-up performance from St Kilda. Uh, Sydney Swans still thereabouts back in the eight, I think back at six spot. Um, and uh, and Melbourne, I think that's the other sort of take-home message that perhaps people have forgotten. Brisbane, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say they didn't turn up, but they were just well beaten by Melbourne, who just and basically Col- stamped and, their and, class and, on the and, competition again. And Collingwood got themselves in the eight with a good run home to come. Yeah, they've got a pretty, pretty as as... As the AFL is in all pretty even games, but uh, they uh, they've got a pretty gentle run home. Uh, they play Carlton in the last game of the season. I know that. Uh, I'd like to see them just teetering on the on the eight, just uh, when that moment comes, and then the Blues come and just knock them off. <laughs> oh, just that's just make that's them just cry, child, Jack. Child, make them cry. Childhood <laughs> vengeance. Uh, just because you were made to go to Victoria Park a couple of times. You know? <laughs> I used to go willingly. I don't know what was wrong with me, I, I, but I don't need to go to a cart and go. Jesus Christ! I used to, I'd go when I was eight or nine on my own. Mm. Um, mad stuff. Anyway, yeah, no, it was terrific, and uh, and the only, I guess, the blemish from it uh, is that uh, the St Kilda uh, defender Stewart uh, seemed uh, well. He basically uh, ran past the footy and made contact with the head of uh, of uh, Dion Prestia and uh, kept Prestia out of the game with concussion and will miss under the concussion rules the next week. Uh, and something, so, something that would have been called play on when um, oh, mate, you and I were running around playing footy in the, um, in the 80s that was that would happen a dozen times a game mm-hmm. um, but this but it's, it's, it's good to see that it's gone oh it's got to go it, you can't have mm-hmm. it I mean for a start these guys are fitter and faster so they're mm-hmm. going to make more damage uh, I mean, when you run past the ball people's eyes off the ball bang you know it mm-hmm. could be really really dangerous so I suspect uh uh, Stuart, who's uh, said to be uh, uh, <coughs> absolutely horrified with what had happened, um, uh, will will sort of spend the next month out of football somewhere around that sort of time frame. I think he'll have a few weeks to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, these things do happen. He's not a dirty player, but he did the wrong thing there. There's no doubt about it. Now, we just wanted to talk about one particular theme. We're just going to touch on it very quickly. The ATAR score, Jack. That's the that's the New South Wales uh, entry to universities, or is that a national standard now? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't think it is. I, I think it's 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 a New South Wales thing, but the but, but the Victorians I think have a have a different thing through uh, through their year twelve, and it basically gives you that score that will get you into university, and yep. the higher it'll go, uh, the, the higher the score. 
uh, the higher you're going to sort of lofty places like where you went, Jack, Melbourne University, to do law and uh, uh, I just... It took me till I was 25 to get in. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what we're trying to say is that there's just so much pressure on young young kids, 16, 17 years of age, sometimes 18, uh, going into HSC, um, their HSC years, sitting exams, having done a fair amount of assessment work because that's the way the curriculum is structured these days, a fair amount of assessment work in year 11 and year 12, uh, external, uh, well, external, external, not externally assessed. Uh, there are exams, um, but st- these exams still place a great deal of pressure on young kids. Jack, what's your advice to them and their parents? Well, I'm always amused that people put so much weight on what's going to happen to you when you're 18, like that that's going to determine your life. And um, it just doesn't work. Life just doesn't – it does for some people, but yeah. for most people, life just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, there, there are those, we remember them from our own school days, that there were those kids who were absolutely fixed that they were going to do this, whether it's medicine or law or whatever it was going to be, and that and nothing would nothing would distract them from that pursuit. Uh, um, but that's but, but, but that's the, rare. But those but those people are few in number. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 the ones who actually do do what they were going to were going to do are even fewer in number. You know, yeah. I mean, the, um, yeah. so so you know, my my advice to uh, um, uh, to to young people is just don't put that much importance on it you know i mean it's important to try and do well it's not Um, the end of the world yeah but it's not the end of the world it's you know i I have a uh, uh, some pleasure in in uh, in acting as a mentor to young law students at melbourne law now and and even then they'll say oh i'm a bit worried i'm not really sure what i want to do when i finish my law degree i said well don't worry about that there are, all, there are always some people who started the law degree knowing this is what I'm going to do with it at the end, generally because their dad was a QC or a you know, mum was a QC or a judge or something. But most people halfway through the law course had no idea what they're going to do. So um, uh, that's perfectly normal. Yeah, I'm glad we brought this up because I think I have a young law student that, uh, you, that I'd like you to mentor. She was uh, one, of my, one of my daughter's friends and she is like that. She's unsure. She's uh, she's studying the law, doesn't quite know what she wants to do with it. So uh, we'll we'll work that out a bit. Yeah, I think kids these days are under extraordinary pressure, and it's often parental yep. that they've got to achieve. And, they've and got from to the get school, the and from the schools. As oh, well. and the schools, absolutely. This, this, this is going to determine your life, and it's just not true. Not true. It's not true. I mean, neither, neither, neither you or I really knew what we wanted to do, right. what we wanted to do for long after Not a clue. Not a clue. Yeah, after we in my mid twenties, I still wouldn't have known. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and well, that, well and I, sort of, I, I sort of fell into the law school at twenty five and thought, "This is great. I love this." You know, but yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, look, you you you, you uh, went and trained as a carpenter. You you yeah, did your yeah, apprenticeship yeah. Well, as a probably, carpenter. Possibly the world's worst gardener. Anyway, before, <laughs> before we go, I just want to, one one thing that's not quite Australian, but uh, I, don't, Australian. I don't know whether I don't know whether Australia Prince Charles had a bit of a problem during the oh he cut my suitcases he, full of cash. He did, he did. The Louis Vuittons um, were were stuffed full of euros uh, by some sheik in in Qatar. Yeah, and um, he's put and it he put I, it straight through the charity, Jack. It's all above board. 
Yeah, look, I'm, I'm sure it's all above board. The only thing that concerned me was I see these photos of all the lost luggage these days, <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm just thinking all those. Baggage handlers at Heathrow, they'll be going through every bag now. You know? <laughs> yeah, but it, it's the one with the uh, little HRH on it. You want to And it'd be coming off the private plane as well, I should think. But. Look, I probably shouldn't say this, Jack, but if it was anybody else but uh, Prince Charles, you'd have to say it smacks a little bit of money laundering, doesn't it? It does look. It does look like they've been put through the tumble dryer and given a good press, you know. And, uh, <laughs> dear, oh dear, the Winters—they can get away with anything. Anything, okay. Jack. Fantastic to have you with me again. I'm going to pick you up on some of those things, and we will have a little segment called <laughs> "Let's Let's Pick Jack Apart." Let's pick on on, on Jack Apart. Uh, we'll get on to that go, next go week. Go your hardest. Yeah, we'll go, go, go my hardest. No worries. You know I will yeah. do that. Uh, fantastic to have you along here for Hard Hats and High Viz, and thank you, listeners. And if if you've enjoyed our enjoyed our rubbish for the day, um, as I said before, this at the front end of the program. Drop us a line, let us know, uh, give us a, a rating on uh, on your podcast app, and uh, you can get hold of both of us really on the conditional release program at gmail.com or you can just hit me up in the DMs on uh, at, at, in Twitter on at Jack the Insider. Good on you, Jack. We'll catch you next week. Cheers, mate.